privilege to be with you today. Uh, one of the things that's exciting is when you go to a congregation and you can preach a lesson like you did this morning and get the comments that you get. Uh, some people in a lot of the congregations might say that was a little bit hard, uh, but this congregation didn't say that, and I'm excited about that. That's really good. Uh, I take young people to Central America, and we train them to teach the gospel. Well, tonight's lesson is taking a lesson that we would teach in Central America and teaching it tonight for our lesson so that we can see what we're teaching down on these mission trips. Tonight, I want you, if you have a, a pencil and paper, I want to encourage you to take it out and I want you to write something down. If you don't have anything to write on, that's okay. Then I want you to think about it in your mind and put it right here and keep it fresh in your mind all through the lesson tonight because I want you to compare what you write down to what we're going to talk about tonight. Okay? Is that a deal? Good. I want you to think about the day that you were saved. What happened that day? What did you do to be saved? What was going on? Was you at services? Was you at a gospel meeting? Was you at Bible camp? Where were you? And what did you do to be saved? What was the one thing that you did that you can say at that point in time, I was saved? And then what happened after that? Was there anything else that you did maybe later? Maybe it's something like happened to, to my dad. Back years ago, when my dad was about 10 or 12 years old, he was attending a revival service. He was attending a revival service, and he was sitting back near the back of the church building. And as the preacher finished his lesson, he began to walk up and down the aisles. He began to talk to each person. And he came up to my dad, who was about 10 or 12 years old, and said, Son, are you a Christian? And dad said, No, I'm not a Christian. He said, Well, son, do you want to be a Christian? And dad said, Well, yeah, I, I want to be a Christian. He said, Well, son, all you have to do is believe, and you can be a Christian. And so the preacher went from that point and went to talking to other people in the audience. And as they continued the song service, the people started coming down to the front. And they started kneeling down on a bench down front. And they were all beginning to pray. And after a period of time, he said that, that they all stood up and they, they faced the audience. And then the preacher got to the front and he started going down the line, talking to each one of them. And he said, what, what has happened to you tonight? And they would tell some experience that had taken place. And about that time, Dad gets out of the aisle, and he comes down, and he stands on the far end. And so the preacher talks to each one of them, and then he gets to Dad. and says, son, how can we help you? He said, well, you came back there a few moments ago and, and you asked me if I was a Christian. And I said I was not. He said, oh, you told me all I have to do to be a Christian is to believe. And he said, I believe. 
So I must be a Christian. And he heard all through the audience. Amen. Amen. Well, he gets in the car with my grandmother, who had been playing the piano that particular Sunday or evening. And they're driving home. And it's real quiet in the car. And grandmother looks at my dad and says, Tommy, I'm excited tonight that you became a Christian. Now I want you to be baptized and join the church. My dad thought about it for a few moments. And he says, well, Mom, do I have to be baptized to go to heaven? And she said, well, no. But she said, you want to. He said, why, Mama? She said, because if you're baptized, then you can join the church and be more effective for the work of the Lord. He said, but I don't have to do that to go to heaven, Mama. And she said, no, you don't have to do that to go to heaven. He said, well, Mama, I don't want to do anything that I don't have to do. I just want to go to heaven. So Dad continued in that state for several years. And as he got a little older, eventually he was baptized at a baptismal service where they all came together at a particular day. And he was baptized. He became a preacher in that religion. Maybe you did something similar to that. Maybe you did something else. But I want you to write it down tonight. I want you to write it down, and then we're going to go to God's Word. We're going to go to God's Word and see what God's Word says that one must do to be saved. And you know, if we go to God's Word and we look in when that question is asked, what must I do to be saved? And we look at the answers that are given and we do the same thing that they did and were told to do, then we can be assured that we're doing what the Bible tells us to do, right? Is that right? This is yes. This is no. Okay, good. Okay, so we can understand that. Turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, this is the day of Pentecost. There were religious people, Jewish people, who had come into the city of Jerusalem for different types of the Passover and different feasts. And they're there for a period of time in Jerusalem. And as they are there, the apostles have gone into the city and they have been endued with power from on high, the Bible says. And they began to speak in languages that they had not studied. Because there were a lot of people there who were from many different nationalities. They all spoke different languages. And so the apostles were given the ability to speak in languages without being studying these languages. And so they began to speak in tongues. And they began to, to teach what we call the first gospel sermon. And Peter, that had been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, has now given the opportunity to, to preach this lesson. 
and he talks to these people about the prophecies that were going to, that had taken place about this particular day. And they began to tell them that this Messiah that they had put on the cross was the Son of God. Verse 37 says they were pricked in their hearts, we read just a moment ago. Can you think about that just a moment? Think about it. When you were a small child and your mother called your name, Spin Broom, come here. You knew you was in trouble, wasn't you? You did something that you was not supposed to do. And you remember that feeling that you had that came all over you that said, oh, no. Remember that? Because mama was about to get you. You take that feeling now and you multiply it by 10, by 20, by 30 times. Because these people who had put Jesus on the cross had just realized that they had just put the Son of God on the cross. They took God's Son and killed Him. Verse 37 says, And they were pricked to the heart. And they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Can you imagine the hopelessness that they felt when they said these words. You put the Son of God on the cross. It was you that did it. Peter says, what shall we do? That's our question tonight, isn't it? That's the question that we're looking at. Let's see what Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, tells the people, the Jews on the day of Pentecost, what they must do because they put the Son of God On the cross. Verse 38 says, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. These are the conditions that Peter told them for salvation, the ones that put Jesus on the cross. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 9. And let's look at one of the other accounts in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 3 and 4. There was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Saul was a man who had a heart that he felt like was pleasing to God. Saul was a man who was persecuting Christians because he felt that they were blaspheming the God of all mankind. And he was going from city to city. And he was dragging people out of their homes. And he was beating them. And he was putting them to death. Let's pick up in his journey going to a city called Damascus. And as he journeyed in verse 3, chapter 9, verse 3, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground, and, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting 
It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? There's our question. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it would be told you what you must do. Now I want you to look at this passage of Scripture just a few moments. In verse 3, we see that Saul saw a great light from heaven. And in verse 4, we see that he heard a voice from heaven. And in verse 5, he talks directly to Jesus. In verse 8, he was blinded. If you keep reading, in verse 9, he fasted. In verse 11, he prays. If you turn to chapter 22 and verse 13, where Paul, the apostle Paul, which is Saul of Tarsus, is retelling the story, in verse 13 of chapter 22, he's healed. Now let's get this straight. Saul is going to the road, on the road to Damascus, and he sees a great light from heaven. He hears a voice, he talks to Jesus. He's blind, he fasts, he prayed, and then he was healed. Now, if we go uptown and we talk to every religion in town and we ask the question, was Saul saved at this time? More than likely, the majority of the ones uptown are going to tell us, yes, he was. You know, he was, saw a light. He heard a voice. He talked to Jesus, blind, fasted, prayed. Yes, he was saved. But is that what the Bible says? Is that what the Bible says? Man teach that today in most of the different religions. They teach that Saul was saved on the road to Damascus. Look in chapter 22 where Saul, the Apostle Paul, is retelling the same exact story. Now, Saul of Tarsus has been taken into the city where he was going to be told what he must do that Jesus told him to do. And he was there and he was praying. Well, in the meantime, God sends a preacher named Ananias. And Ananias reluctantly goes into Saul. And as he goes into Saul, he says, And now why are you waiting? Arise, in verse 16, and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that he saw a great light, heard a voice, talked to Jesus, he prayed, he fasted, he was healed, but he, was, but he still had his sins? Well, that's what the Bible says. He told him to arise and be baptized and to wash away your sins. Now, I want you to think about something. If Saul, if Saul was saved on the road to Damascus, God didn't know it. Because if Saul was saved on the road to Damascus, if God had known it, he wouldn't have sent him a preacher. If Saul was saved on the road to Damascus, Ananias, the preacher, didn't know it because he told him to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And if Saul was saved on the road to Damascus, Saul didn't know it 
Because he did what the preacher taught him to do. You see, Saul still had his sin. After all of these things had taken place in his life, he still had his sins. And after he obeyed what the preacher had told him to do, that God had sent, at that point, his sins were washed away. Now, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Let's see if our question is asked another time. The Apostle Paul is now preaching the gospel. And he has been gone to Philippi. And he's been preaching in Philippi with a man by the name of Silas. And Paul and Silas are in prison in Philippi for preaching the gospel. Let's look and see what happens to Paul and Silas in prison beginning in Acts chapter 16 and verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from his sleep and seeing the the prison doors open, supposedly the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for for we are all here. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and your house shall be saved. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took him the same hour of the night and washed his stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Paul and Silas were in a dungeon-type prison. They were way down deep in a dark prison. Their chains, their arms and feet were chained together where they could not move. They were singing praises to God. The other prisoners were listening. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that an earthquake took place. And it started to shake the house. Now, occasionally I have been in areas that have earthquakes. If an earthquake was to happen in McMinnville, Tennessee this evening, at this location, what would happen? The walls would maybe shake. The ceiling might fall in. The light fixtures might fall. Right? But if I was up here and I had been chained, with chains on my hands and feet, Would they break loose? No. More than likely they would not break loose unless it jerked my hand off. But it happened there. They're 
in prison when they're chained up and an earthquake comes and shakes and opens the prison doors, but their chains on their hands and feet come off. The prison guard is about to kill himself because he's a Roman guard and he knows that if his prisoners escape, then they will torture him. And so he, be, he draws his sword and begins to get ready to take his own life. They hollered, we're all here. Don't, don't do that. Don't do yourself any harm. He runs, gets a light and runs down in the prison where they're all sitting still. He sees that their chains are loose. The earthquake has opened the doors. And he begins to shake, to tremble. Why? Why is he trembling? I believe it's because he is seeing something that's not natural. It's not natural for the chains to be loose. He sees an earthquake and they didn't leave. These things are not normal. And he's trembling. He's afraid and he says, what must I do? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Now that sounds different to me than what the Jews on the day of Pentecost were told. Is it different? Let's examine it a little bit more. Believe, verse 31, on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your house will be saved. And they spoke unto him, the word of the Lord. And he washed their stripes, and the same hour of the night he was baptized. Did he do the same thing that the Jews on the day of Pentecost did? You know, if I was going to take a trip from Murfreesboro to McMinnville, how many miles is that? 40? 40 miles. I get on the highway and I ask in Murfreesboro, how far is it to McMinnville? And somebody tells me 40 miles. And I drive down the road just a little piece and I decide I want something to drink. So I get out and go in and get me a cocoa and I ask the guy at the store, how far is it to McMinnville? And he says, 30 miles. And I drive a little bit further and I decide I need to stop again. And I go in and I ask the question, how far is it to McMinnville? And he says, 10 more miles. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I just asked the same question three different times, and I got three different answers. Why? Because I traveled on the road towards my destination. And so the answer was the same answer. It was just given at different points. You see, the Jews... On the day of Pentecost, they were religious people. They believed in God. They had put the Son of God on the cross. And so when they asked, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? Peter says, to repent and to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. Saul of Tarsus had seen the light, had talked to Jesus, had prayed, had fasted. He was a repentant man. And the preacher tells him, 
what does he, he, he tells him? To arise and to be baptized and to wash away your sins. The Philippian jailer, who evidently was not a religious person at all, and he comes into the prison guard and he's afraid and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Not even a religious man. And they said, you've got to believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Then they preached unto him the word of the Lord. Somewhere in preaching the word of the Lord, the subject of baptism evidently came up because he went immediately in the middle of the night and was baptized. Not only that, he was a Roman guard. He might have been to some extent involved in the stripes that were put on their backs. Whether he held the jackets, whether he held a rope and tied them around a, a, a rock so they could be stretched to be beaten, or whether he actually put the stripes on them. He was part of the process. And he took cool water. And he cooled their backs. That was probably laid wide open from whips. He put cool water on. What, what is that? You see, that is a change of heart. That's a change of heart. That's, that's repentance. That's repentance. So the guard was told to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They preached to him the word of the Lord. He washed their stripes. Repentance. And then he's baptized. Now what's unusual about this is he didn't wait till the third Sunday of the next month when there was a whole group of people that was going down to be baptized. They took him immediately the same hour of the night and they baptized him. Why? Because baptism washes away your sins. Saul of Tarsus was told that. To arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. So until he had his sins washed away, then he was still in that lost condition. And it was so urgent that this man wanted it done immediately. Immediately. To arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. In Isaiah chapter 59, in verse 2, the Bible tells us that, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. It is us that has separated ourselves from God. God has never moved. He has always been there for us. But we have separated ourselves and because of that, we have sin in our lives. And that sin must be taken away. And to do that, we must hear the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. We must hear the word of God. And then we must believe. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the Bible says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When you think about this passage of Scripture, this is something that we need to all pay attention to because we must have faith 
that God is the creator of all, that Jesus Christ is his son. But we must diligently seek him. What does that mean? You know, I I like to describe it like this. You've got two football teams, and they're lined up on the one-yard line. And the team that is trying to get that ball across that goal line, if they do it, they're going to win the ball game. The state championship. They have to move the ball across the goal line. One more play. Fourth down. Two seconds left in the game. The ball is hiked to the quarterback. And the line hits each other with everything they've got in their entire might. That's diligently. That's what it means. To diligently seek is to do with everything that we have. It's not haphazard. It's not something that we accidentally do. Diligently seeking God is something that we do because we have planned to do it. And we do it with everything that we have in our might. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. And He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And then we must repent of our sins, Luke 13 and verse 3. I tell you, nay, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then we must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10, and Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32. And then we're buried with Him in the watery grave of baptism to have our sins washed away, Acts twenty-two sixteen 16, and Acts two thirty-eight. Mark chapter 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The Bible gives us the exact things that we must do. We have seen tonight that the question was asked three different times. What must I do to be saved? In every situation that took place, we're told to do exactly the same thing. Now, is that what Dad did? Is that what my grandmother told my dad to do? Or the preacher that night? Folks, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. The preacher told my dad to do something that was not in the Bible. He told him all he had to do is believe and that was it. But they preached to them the word of the Lord. After they preached the word of the Lord, they washed, he washed their stripes and was baptized for the remission of their sins. The only way that we can be pleasing to God is do it God's way. Well, you might say, well, preacher, I've been baptized. I was baptized several years ago. My question to you is, for what reason were you baptized? Let me tell you a story. It's a true story. My brother, who is older than I am, and my sister, when they were small children, they were playing together in the, in the, the other room. And something took place, and my brother was really aggravating my sister. And all of a sudden, my sister takes her fist and she hits my brother with all she's got. And dad walks in the door about that time. And he looks at her and he says, you apologize to him. And she said, no. He made fun of me. No. 
He said, I said, apologize to him now. And she goes, I'm sorry. Well, you know how kids are. In a few moments, they were playing again. And they started playing the rest of the day. And then later on in the day, my brother starts making fun of her again. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, he, he made you apologize to me. My sister looked at him, and she said, listen to this, coming from the words of a child, he can make me say I'm sorry, but he can't make me mean it. Folks, when you do something for the wrong reason, it doesn't mean anything. In order to be pleasing to God, then we must obey His gospel the way He said do it and for the reason He said do it. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's what the scripture says. It doesn't matter what I say. That's what God says. There might be someone in the audience tonight who didn't do that to be saved. You can change that tonight. You can come to the front as we sing the song. And we can baptize you into the watery grave of baptism. And the Lord will, your sins will wash, be washed away. And the Lord will add you to his church. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. And when the Lord adds to a church, to which church is he going to add you to? There's a church on every corner, in every city, in every town of the United States of America, just about. And every one of them are teaching different doctrines, and they all claim to get their doctrine from this book. But they're all teaching a different doctrine. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't happen that way when we play a football, or soccer, or baseball, or anything else. When we go by the same rule book, we all play the same game, don't we? But in religion, something takes place. And when you try to all go by the same rule book, you're all teaching a different doctrine. That doesn't make sense. Now, I've come to a conclusion on this subject. And see if you agree with me. If this is the rule book that God gave us, and everybody is going by the rule book, they're all teaching different doctrines, then it makes sense to see the one of these three things. Either every one of them are wrong, or one's right and the rest of them are wrong, but all of them can't be right. Is that right? Let me repeat that. Either... Every one of them are wrong. Or one of them is right and everybody else is wrong. But everybody cannot be right if they're going by the same rule book, but they're preaching a different doctrine. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, the Bible tells us that there is one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one One doctrine, one faith. One faith. It says that there's one body, 
Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says the body is the church. If there's one body and the body is the church, then how many churches did Jesus die for? He died for one. He died for his church. I'm talking in Central America to a lady, and she has a store. And she has put all her money into building this store. And so now the store is about ready to open, and she's about to put a sign up over the door that represents that this store belongs to her. And I asked her one day, I said, could you put on that sign, this is Spencer's general store. And she said, no way. I said, why not? I'm a pretty good guy. Why won't you put my name on it? She said, you didn't pay for it. You didn't work for it. You didn't purchase it. Well, that made sense to me. But you know what? It was Jesus that purchased the church. It was Jesus that paid the price. It was Jesus that died on the cross for it. It was Jesus. And we should, the church should wear Jesus' name and not some man. So when the Lord adds you to a church, He's going to add you to His church. The church that He died for. The church that He purchased with His own blood. And Jesus will not make a mistake. Friends, this is from the Word of God. This is what God's Word said. And I beg you tonight to please, if you're subject in any way to the Lord's invitation, come while together we stand and we sing.